From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, a victory, albeit temporary, for healthcare workers and religious freedom in New York, where a federal judge ruled just uh, earlier this afternoon that the state cannot take any negative action against those seeking a religious exemption from the mandatory COVID-19 vaccination. We'll get the latest from Roger Ganim with Liberty Council. Also, Liberty Council is about to take the Department of Defense to court over their vaccine mandate for service members. We'll get the latest from Roger on this as well. And on the education front, some courageous state leaders are fighting back and challenging parents to join them. There's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, any of that filth. And yes, I called it filth. That was North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who has come under attack by the cancel culture, but he's not waving a white flag, and he's not apologizing for telling the truth. And he joins us in just a moment. Also on the education front, as we discussed yesterday, the letter from the National School Board's Association to President Biden appeared orchestrated. Well, one public interest law firm suspects the same. There appears to be collusion, and they are calling upon the inspector general to investigate. Gene Hamilton, general counsel with America First Legal Foundation, is here with more. And the House returned today so Democrats could pass the two-month debt ceiling raise. But the debate over the $3.5 trillion-plus reconciliation bill will continue. Just what is in this 2,500-page bill? It's a good question. Over the next few days, we're going to take a look at just what this bill seeks to fund with your tax dollars. FRC's Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs, will help you be more informed than most members of Congress. That's coming up later on this edition of Washington Watch. If you miss anything, you can find it all later at TonyPerkins.com. It's all archived right there. And speaking of archives, Prevote Stand Summit was last week into the weekend. It was a fantastic event. A lot of information that uh, you can find, you'll find helpful. It's so all of it's archived at prevotestand.org. So check that out. All right, there was a time when public education was about education, about reading, writing, and arithmetic. Remember those days? Well, there was also a time when we were concerned about our students' proficiency in science so that we could compete internationally. That's been eclipsed by an all-out effort to sexualize children. The debate in schools are not over testing procedures, it's over bathroom policies, allowing students to access whichever bathroom they want. The focus is not on reading the classics, but getting what can only be described, quite frankly, as porn into the libraries and the classrooms of America. And my next guest will tell you, uh, when you call it what it is, filth, expect to face the cancel culture, who will attempt to silence anyone who speaks the truth about what is really happening in America's schools. Joining me now is the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, who is taking a stand, Mark Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me here. It's great to be here again. Now, back in June, you spoke in a church, and I want to play a clip of this because what you said has been taken out of context, not to be surprised by that, 
but you were talking about what was happening in classrooms. And before I play this, uh, this clip, you have been working on a project, and you were on the program talking about this, I think, last month. You have been collecting information, looking into what's been happening in public education in North Carolina for some time. So this wasn't something you said just off the cuff. This was something you have been looking into and researching. Uh, absolutely it is. This has been on our radar for quite some time. It's been on my personal radar for many years. It's what we call indoctrination in our schools. I, I had an up close and personal uh, look at it when my daughter was in high school. Uh, and then as we came into the political realm, it's one of the topics that uh, occurred and was brought up to us over and over and over again, one of the topics. And we have dedicated ourselves in this office uh, to pushing back against it. And one of the main things that we're seeing is this sexualization of children in the classroom. And it's something that we are bound and determined to stand up against. All right, Lieutenant Governor, I want to play a clip of what you had to say in a church regarding this, I think back in June. Play clip number three, please. We have got to wrestle this away from those folks. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it is flat out child abuse. Take your children and tell them they have to attend school, don't have a choice. And then some of them will tell them they don't want you to have a choice where they go to school. You have to send your children here to school. Then when they get there, what do they teach them? Teach them a bunch of stuff about how to hate America. Teach them a bunch of stuff about why they're racist. Teach them a bunch of stuff about transgenderism and homosexuality. I'm saying this now, and I've been saying it, and I don't care who likes it. Those issues have no place in a school. There's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, any of that filth. And yes, I called it filth. And if you don't like it that I called it filth, come see me and I'll explain it to you. It's time for us to stop letting these children be abused at these schools. And it's not going to happen till the people of God stand up and demand different. All right, Lieutenant Governor Robinson, I want to give you the opportunity to give the, the full context of this video that has the left up in arms. Where were you speaking? Who was your audience? And, and what was the topic? I was speaking in a church and I was speaking about that very, the very issue that you heard about information that has come to us since we have been in this office, before we got into this office, about material that is being that is being disseminated in public schools that is absolutely 100% yes, filthy. We were not calling any person filthy. We were not calling uh, anyone filthy. We were calling the material that is being shared with students in this uh, in the public education system. Some of it is very filthy. And we gave some uh, examples of that. And it's just a small sample of the things that we have seen uh, since we've been in this office and been made aware of. Much of it we saw uh, in our uh, educate during our education task force. Uh, and so that was the context of what we were talking about. And those folks that want to take it out of context and want to try to excuse the fact that we have this pornographic material in schools, uh, they might as well go ahead and pack it in because we're not going to back down on this issue. We're going to make sure that children in schools are safe from this type of stuff. What they're seeking to do is attack the messenger so it distracts from the message. Uh, they're trying to say, as you said, that you called someone filthy. 
or that a certain in group of people. And that was nothing, uh, there was nothing of the sort said in your speech. You're talking about the material that is in classrooms. And in a follow-up video that you put on Facebook, which uh, after this uh, interview, I'm going to post on my Facebook page, Tony Perkins, uh, because it's, uh, quite frankly, it goes into things we can't talk about on the radio because this is a uh, public airwaves and, you know, we have a family audience, but this is in classrooms. This is in libraries in the school. Things that you and I can't talk about on the air is in the classroom. Absolutely. Things that can't be shown on the evening news are things that are being disseminated in our schools. And when I say disseminated, I'm not just I'm not saying that they're necessarily being taught in the classroom. These things are available in the library. They're being made available by educators in some form, any form that these things are in our schools, whether it be in the library, whether it be in the hallways, whether it be in the classrooms, it is unacceptable. And some of the examples we use is, is uh, makes that quite clear. So how is this happening? How has this happened that this type of material has gotten into the classrooms? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we're no longer debating about test scores. We're debating about bathroom policies. I mean, how is it that our public education has digressed to such a level? I think it's really a case that we have, have grown to trust those who we who have that sacred trust of education. And let's be clear, the vast majority of educators across this nation do a fantastic, a phenomenal job. They're honest, they're forthright, and they have the best interest of students and parents at heart. But there are some who have slid in under the radar, under the cover of darkness, and are sliding these things into the classroom, sliding them into our libraries, and making them available for students. We can no longer allow that to happen. We have got to, to get down to school board meetings. We've got to get down to our children's schools and find out uh, if any of this material is there. And if it is, we have to get rid of it. What we have found, Lieutenant Governor, is that as you pointed out, many good men and women who are in public education. In fact, we encourage uh, Christian men and women to go into education to be a, a source of light in what has become a very dark place. But many of them have their hands tied by the curriculum that's being pushed into our schools. And you made a point in that message that we heard earlier from the church that this will continue until Christians, parents get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. My, my, my Christian faith leads me to stand up against this. Uh, and as I said earlier today in a press conference, as an elected official, I'm here to make sure the constitutional rights of every citizen of this state is protected, no matter what their political beliefs may be, no matter what their uh, lifestyle may be. I'm here to protect those constitutional rights. But I also have a sacred duty to make sure that material like this is not going to be introduced in the classroom. And my faith leads me to do that. And I'm going to continue to stand up and fight against it, no matter what anyone says. So, Lieutenant Governor, is this why so many people don't get involved or take a stand because of this cancel culture uh, that just unload on anyone who dares shine light on what's actually happening? Absolutely. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that we have created a climate of fear that has caused free speech in this nation to be stifled. We've got to stand up against that. That is not what the foundation of this nation. This nation was founded on the premise of having free political discourse. And right now, as it stands, 
anybody who does not agree with the far left is intimidated. They are, are harassed. They're called names. Their words are taken and twisted out of context. The only way we're going to be able to combat that is to stand firm in our beliefs and continue to stand strong and continue to stand up for our convictions. Uh, final question for you, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor Robinson. What have you been hearing from the voters of North Carolina? We have strong support all across the state. People love our message. They love the fact that we're not backing down, and they love the fact that we're standing up for what's right. So those folks on the left that think that we're just going to slink away because a few people are angry at us, they have another thing coming. We're going to continue to double and triple down, and we're going to continue to fight to make sure that this filth is removed from our classrooms. Well, and let me add my voice to that. I'm not a North Carolina voter, but I appreciate your stand and you have an open invitation to come on Washington Watch anytime to share what's happening in North Carolina as you take a stand for parents and you take a stand for children. And most importantly, you take a stand for what's right. Well, thank you very much, Tony. It was a pleasure to be here. All right, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson of uh, North Carolina. That's refreshing. Uh, the, the laugh just unloading on him for exposing what's happening. This is what you have to expect. When you expose the deeds of darkness, don't expect a pat on the back, expect to slap upside the head, but <laughs> don't back down, be bold, be courageous. I'm grateful for uh, folks like uh, Mark Robinson. All right, coming up next, some good news out of New York. You won't wanna miss Liberty Council's Rogers Gannon he joins us to talk about how healthcare workers got a court decision today that might be temporary, but it's a good sign. Talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go away. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org summit 
or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Find me on Facebook at Tony Perkins. All right. New York has been ground zero for a lot of ill-advised COVID policies. First, there was the unconstitutional and overly harsh restrictions on churches and other religious gatherings. Thankfully, the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in and slapped down then-Governor Andrew Cuomo, who had to resign over sexual harassment charges. Now, The COVID legal issue the courts are tackling are the vaccine mandates from his successor, Kathy Hochul, and her refusal to recognize the religious freedom claims of healthcare workers. There are not legitimate religious exemptions because the leaders of all the organized religions have said there's no legitimate reason, and we're going to win that in court in a matter of days. Well, maybe not. Uh, But before we go to my next guest, uh, just so the social media giants and the YouTube police don't uh, raise a fuss and uh, strike us, uh, once more for the record, I'm not against the uh, the vaccine. I think everyone should evaluate the risk associated with the vaccine and the risk associated with not getting the vaccine if you're in a uh, certain health situation. But that's between you and your doctor. What I'm against is people not being able to choose for themselves whether they need it based on their own health situation. I'm against big government and big business mandating this on the American people. Joining me now to discuss this is Liberty Council's Assistant Vice President of Legal Affairs, Roger Gannam. Roger, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Glad to be here. So uh, this is good news uh, out of New York today. Absolutely. Uh, One of the several lawsuits against the governor uh, and her other state officials enforcing this vaccine mandate uh, has now resulted in in an injunction that will last for the duration of the suit uh, until it's resolved at trial or or in some other manner. But the judge was very clear that Governor Hochul can't simply say federal protections for religious beliefs don't apply in New York. That's exactly what she tried to do. Uh, and in that clip you played, uh, it's priceless. Uh, the, just the hubris to think that uh, she can get away with it. Uh, but she's been put in her place now, not only by this trial court, but even by the 
the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which uh, which handles all the federal appeals out of New York. Uh, so she does not have a good track record on this issue in court. Uh, we hope that our own case brought by Liberty Council will uh, result in the same outcome, and uh, we think it will. Uh, so this is a good uh, a good day for religious liberty, um, and all the litigation over the summer to uh, to open churches against uh, Governor Cuomo's mandates. All those cases are now paying off with the good decisions we're seeing against this vaccine mandate. So the uh, last week, I think it was uh, the largest healthcare or hospital system in New York. Uh, fired, I think, some 1,400, 1,500 employees for refusing to get the vaccine. Uh, now, that was a that was based upon this mandate from the state, as I understand. Will those employees be reinstated until this case is fully adjudicated? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the injunction so far is only against Governor Hochul and her other state officials preventing them from enforcing the mandate. But we still have a, a number of large hospital system employers who are using that mandate as an excuse to deny religious exemptions. And as you said, many healthcare employees have already been fired as a result of that. They certainly will have monetary claims against those hospitals for violating their religious rights. Um, whether or not we can see any of them reinstated in the meantime uh, is going to probably require more litigation. So, Roger, in the let's say these uh, healthcare workers who, for whatever reason, in this particular case, it's the religious exemption, they file a religious exemption claim, which is denied um, based upon the governor's claim. So, uh, at a certain point, the court is going to decide on this, and if the governor does not prevail and she is uh, proven wrong that religious exemption should be recognized, will these employees then have a case to be reinstated and back pay, et cetera? Well, there's two steps to this. One is just opening a religious exemption process for these employees. And that's what the current injunction against the governor requires. It requires that that federal process be allowed so that everyone can apply for a religious exemption and get one if they're entitled to it. The next step would be evaluating each of those religious exemption claims. Uh, many of the employees who have been fired so far just never had a chance at the process, uh, and they certainly are entitled to that. Whether they get to go back to work and then request an exemption or whether they'll just have to seek damages for back pay and eventual reinstatement through the court really remains to be seen. But there's no doubt that thousands of employees are impacted by this. Uh, and if there's any justice, uh, these hospital systems will be paying them uh, for the time that they've lost, uh, having, you know, having to be turned away from their jobs for not wanting to violate their consciences. So it's safe to say that there's going to be a lot of litigation surrounding this. No doubt. All over the country, wherever these religious exemptions are being denied, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of employees who may have claims against their employers. Uh, and as you said, New York is probably going to be ground zero for those claims. So, Roger, uh, I understand Liberty Council is about to file suit against the Department of Defense. Tell us about it. Yes. As soon as tomorrow, we'll be representing several classes of uh, military service members and other federal employees like uh, civilian defense contractors who are facing uh, these federal mandates to get vaccinated. Uh, and in many cases, especially for our military service members, their religious exemption requests just aren't even being received or considered, uh, either command or, 
or some other um, you know, process is sort of uh, put up against them so that they're either told or it's strongly suggested that they not even apply for religious exemptions. So we're representing them in a suit that will be filed as soon as tomorrow against the Department of Defense, against President Biden, uh, to, to force them to, to back off from this unconstitutional policy uh, and allow the religious exemption requests to go forward as they are intended. It, no service member should have a black mark on his record just for asking for a religious exemption. And certainly no service member should be dishonorably discharged for refusing a, a vaccine that violates their conscience. Well, with the deadline quickly approaching for members of the military to be vaccinated or be drummed out, uh, that suit is gonna be extremely important. Roger, thanks so much for uh, joining us. We'll be tracking that one uh, very closely. Thanks again for having me, Tony. Absolutely. Roger Gannam with uh, Liberty Council. We'll be watching that one uh, very, very closely. All right, coming up next, was the Biden administration colluding with the National School Boards Association to get the Department of Justice involved in local school boards for political purposes? I'm not the only one who thinks so. American First Legal Foundation is calling for the Inspector General to investigate. We talk about it next with Gene Hamilton. Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Yesterday, we were discussing the Department of Justice's response to the National School Boards Association claim that parents showing up at school board meetings in opposition to critical race theory and anti-family gender ideology, along with unscientific COVID policies, 
were the equivalent to domestic terrorists. Now, it's in their letter, and, and I, I think I have that letter posted at TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, I, I briefly read from their six-page letter the incidents that they said supported their claims of parents being domestic terrorists. Among the incidents of name-calling, yes, that's really a terrorist threat, and threats to remove them from office, they cited an incident in Virginia where a man was arrested at a school board meeting. But despite efforts to suppress the facts, the, the real story is this man's daughter was actually sexually assaulted in the school bathroom by a male in a dress using a girl's restroom. The school denied it in the public hearing that the man was at, saying that there were no problems that they had encountered by their bathroom policy. The irate dad trying to speak was drug out by police before he could speak. So that's the story behind what was in the memo. But back to this memo. Didn't the, did the Biden administration actually solicit this letter so that they could jump into something that, quite frankly, is none of their business? Well, join me now to discuss this is Gene Hamilton. He is the vice president of America First Legal Foundation. Gene, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Tony. All right. Uh, you have called upon Michael Horowitz, the inspector general, to look into uh, what you have laid out here is a, a number of facts, and I want to jump right to the heart of this because, quite frankly, it looks like there, if I can use the word collusion, collusion between the National School Boards Association and the Biden administration. Explain. Tony, you've highlighted a very important issue that's obviously got a lot of attention uh, in recent days and in, in the last week or so. Parents are rightly outraged at what they saw. Uh, when we saw this political action taken by the Attorney General of the United States days, a mere days after receiving a letter from a National School Board Association asking for this very type of action to occur. Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience at the Department of Justice, working with prior attorneys general um, and other senior levels of government, in that type of a timeline simply does not happen uh, ever. It, 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 organizations send letters, members of Congress send letters all the time to the Department of Justice, to other federal departments and agencies. No one ever responds, no one ever reacts within a matter of a few days and issues departmental guidance based on the contents of a request from an outside organization. The, the, so, the wheel, in other words, in other words, the wheels of justice move very slow, literally. And the date, just so our, our listeners understand what you're saying, the date of the memo or the date of the letter to the president was September the 29th. The memo from the attorney general was October the 4th. Nothing moves that fast. They don't even process mail that fast. That's right, Tony. You're absolutely correct. Nothing ever moves in government that quickly, particularly nothing moves that quickly at the highest levels of the Department of Justice and other massive cabinet agencies, unless there's something else going on. And that something else is what we are asking the Inspector General of the Department of Justice to look into. Clearly, there was some amount of coordination that was involved here. We don't know precisely where all of that coordination occurred. Our letter speaks for itself. We have some things in it. Um, but it's just a simple fact that you don't get from a letter 
to the president asking for something to occur to a response in the form of a formal memorandum from the Attorney General of the United States without some kind of pre-coordination, without some kind of understanding or agreement beforehand. And that's what we're trying to get at. So if I were to look at the gene and, and look at the questions that you're asking, it appears that there is some information coming from those close to it that, that would suggest that the Biden administration was looking for someone to say, hey, can you help us? Uh, can you jump in and bring the federal government into this debate? And it would suggest also that there was political motivation because the Democrats realize this is a losing issue for them. Is that a reach or is that what the evidence could suggest? Tony, our, our letter speaks for itself, but I think that you hit a, uh, a very important point, which is the Democrats realize that this is a very, very, very bad issue for them. And you can see it in poll and poll and poll across the country. Now, my organization is not a political organization. We're, we're, we're a nonpartisan 501c3, but we can clearly see what every other American can see across the country, which is that political motivations are being taken into account when they're taking official government action. And that's improper. It's especially improper at the Department of Justice. And it's especially improper when across the country, parents are exercising their First Amendment rights to petition their government, to petition their school boards, to let their voices be heard. And this memorandum is nothing more than an attempt to chill their speech improperly and unlawfully. It, there, there is no pandemic or epidemic, you should, I should say, of violence against school boards across the country that would precipitate this kind of a memorandum coming up uh, based on legitimate law enforcement sources and information coming from the FBI itself. Yeah, Quite even frankly, the I memo, even their own letter to the president falls short of, of uh, building a case that there is some kind of threat to uh, school boards and schools across the country. Gene, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be watching this one very, very carefully. Thank you, Tony. Stick with us, folks. We're coming back on the other side of the break with more Washington Watch. You don't want to miss this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character 
Cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you uh, happen to miss anything, step away from the television or the radio. You can find it all later archived at TonyPerkins.com on command. In fact, you can share it with friends. And I want to encourage you to do that as more and more people are looking for news sources. How do we find out? I get this all the time. How do you know what's going on? How do you, who do you trust? Well, very few. Uh, in the legacy media, those on cable, uh, don't quite trust them much anymore. Uh, so multiple sources, and certainly we're not uh, an entire news organization, but we do provide you with insight and access to the actual newsmakers. So you know what's happening in Washington, and you know it from a biblical perspective. We don't, uh, we don't make any apologies about the fact that we look at the issues that are taking place in Washington and around the world from a biblical perspective. And so if you want a biblical perspective of what's happening, tune into Washington Watch every day, 5 p.m. Eastern time, and encourage your friends to do so as well. Also, you can sign up for our daily update our, that comes out uh, each day. Go to TonyPerkins.com and uh, you can follow the links over. All right, speaking of these types of things, What do you know about the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that President Biden and the Democrats in Congress are pushing? If you're like most people, you know what it cost, $3.5 trillion, give or take a trillion or two. But most do not know what is in the almost 2,500 pages, 2,500 pages. By comparison, the infamous Obamacare legislation that Nancy Pelosi back in 2009 said they had to pass to find out what was in it was 906 pages. Okay. 906 pages. This 2,500 pages. There is a lot tucked away in the pages of this monstrosity. 
that will cost a lot more than $303.5 trillion. It has a call. It will cost us in a lot more ways than just our bank accounts. Now, the rest of this week, I'll be examining the various aspects of the bill and why Americans should be paying attention and why they should be concerned. Joining me now is Connor Simmelsberger. He's FRC's Director of Federal Affairs, uh, covering life and hum human dignity. And uh, he has been working through this 2,500-page bill. And he joins me now as we uh, take our first installment of the reconciliation bill and what is in it. Connor, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to be on with you, Tony. First off, let's talk just for a moment so folks understand reconciliation. We're talking about a reconciliation bill, $3.5 trillion. What is a reconciliation bill and why is it significant? Yeah, reconciliation is one of those inside baseball DC Hill terms. But what we're talking about here is uh, a pathway for a Congress, a majority Congress, to get through legislation on a partisan basis with only 50 votes in the Senate and a simple majority in the House, which is 218 votes. And that's about all the majorities the Democrats currently have right now. So they're going to use this budget reconciliation process, this sort of fast track to get through all the priorities that Biden ran on, campaigned on these progressive socialist policies that they know they don't have the majority of Congress's support on. They're packaging it all into this three and a half trillion dollar bill, one major bill, like you mentioned, 2,500 pages that they can pass again without a single Republican vote. And just again, so that our listeners and viewers understand, this is not the annual appropriations bill. This is not what we would spend on an annual basis to run government. This is above and beyond the normal expenditures for government. Yes, exactly right. So we pass those annual appropriations to keep Department of Defense, Health and Human Services, things like that funded. This is three and a half trillion dollars in addition to what we're already spending just to keep the government afloat, um, instituting massive changes to the, the very fabric of America, American policy. All right. So we're going to start today. Let's look at the issue of this health care expansion um, and the abortion funding expansion that is in this bill. Now, uh, you weren't here back when Obamacare passed, and probably, you know, we have a lot of folks listening that weren't tracking that, but the Obamacare bill uh, almost failed. I remember we were heavily involved in it all the way up to Christmas Eve, and it almost failed because at the time you had about 30, 35 what they called blue dog Democrats who were pro-life. They were socially conservative, but fiscally more liberal. And they were opposed to this because it had abortion funding in Obamacare. Well, we fast forward 10 years later, 11 years later, and here we are with this uh, monstrosity of a, a bill, $3.5 trillion. And we only have like one pro-life Democrat left. It happens to be Joe Manchin, who's made an issue out of Hyde, the Hyde language. And so he's saying Hyde must be applied to the reconciliation bill. So let's for a moment take a look at what this would do without the Hyde language. Yeah, it's important to understand what Hyde does in and of itself. 
Uh, again, back to those annual appropriations, an amendment passed for 40 several years uh, to exclude abortion funding, our taxpayer funds for abortion in Medicaid and some other health and human services programs. So that's renewed annually and uh, co covers a lot of those major programs. What we're talking about here, though, is expanding, creating brand new health care programs that bypass this Hyde Amendment. They go right around it because they know they don't have the votes to repeal it. And so what would this do? This would create new a Medicaid lookalike program, not Medicaid, but something similar um, in about 12 states that decided not to expand Medicaid uh, back when Obamacare was passed. And th that, that expansion would directly fund abortions, again, end arounding, bypassing that Hyde Amendment. Again, but, but that would also, uh, Connor, that would also bypass the states because the states have made a decision. The state legislatures, the governors have made a decision. We're not going to expand Medicaid. And so this would simply do an end run, not only about only around the Hyde Amendment, but also around those state legislators and state governors. That's exactly right. This is right out of the playbook of the Obama administration when they were going after states that were trying to defund Planned Parenthood. Now here you have the Biden administration directly trying to end around states' laws that uh, prohibit direct taxpayer funding for abortion and chose not to expand Medicaid. And so this is exactly what they're going for, a, a direct expansion ending around democratically uh, elected laws in these states to fund abortions in your hometowns with our taxpayer dollars. And of course, I should add that one of the reasons that the states have not expanded Medicaid um, and some of these other government programs, not just because of abortion, but because the federal government has a history of initially providing funding for this and then pulling back, leaving states to uh, to pay the tab. And I know when I was in office, we ended up with a huge deficit because the federal government in their three to one matching formula all of a sudden pulled back and changed. And we as a state were left to uh, to pay the bill. So there's a history there of distrust for the federal government in terms of its enticing states to expand only to pull back the funding later. Yeah, you're right, Tony. And uh, that's why states should be cautious. It's states like Florida and Texas. And we've seen Texas pass pro-life legislation. We've talked about it quite a bit here at FRC, this heartbeat bill. We've seen in this package a direct attack on states like Texas and Florida making sound economic decisions, sound uh, social decisions to not fund abortions. And now here the government's going to say, doesn't matter what you say in your local state, we know better than you, uh, the Biden administration, and we're going to continue to fund abortions in your state uh, regardless of what laws you pass. And, and so the way they would do that is in this bill, it provides funding not only for abortion, but funding for transportation to abortion. So let's uh, let's put forth a hypothetical here. Let's say you're in Texas. Texas has a heartbeat bill uh, that, uh, as we, we see even today, going back and forth, the Department of Justice trying to stop it, uh, Texas fighting to keep it in place. Um, through entities like Planned Parenthood, they would be able to get this federal money under these new programs and they could then transport on the on the taxpayer dime uh, a woman into another state to get an abortion. Is that what this would provide? That's exactly it. And they added that provision in after the, the Texas passing their heartbeat law. It's, 
it's a really a direct attack on that. You know, we've heard about buses going to Oklahoma City out of Texas to perform abortions there. Those could be funded by our taxpayer dollars. Even worse, they could be purchasing flights with this money to fly women out of Texas into places like California or New Mexico, uh, where the local state already covers abortions there. And so not only is it paying for the abortions itself, but now you're going to be paying for the flights and travel costs for these women to get abortions. And where does this money ultimately go back to? The likes of Planned Parenthood. So, Connor, I want to go back. This creates, as you said, um, a Medicare or Medicaid-like program. So it's it's not Medicaid. It's a new program. It's an expansion of government-funded health care. And, you know, it does fund abortion, but it does a lot more than that. Is this moving us closer to essentially a government takeover of health care, something that, you know, has been fought back and forth, you know, back, going back to Obamacare. I mean, this looks like, you know, to use the old uh, analogy, the camel's nose under the tent. I mean, this just looks like the expansion is moving forward and forward until before too long, the government will control the whole um, infrastructure of health care in this country. Yeah, it's not just a baby step in that direction. It's a major step towards federalized health care. When the federal government can say, we know better than you and we're going to provide uh, health care services in your states, overruling your laws. In addition to that, uh, we've heard Senator Bernie Sanders, a red line for him um, is that Medicaid or Medicare, which uh, uh, is for our seniors, to include costs for dental and vision, things that it does not co- uh, cover right now. Again, taking that major step to Medicare for all which is President uh, Biden's ultimate goal, is to have that uh, Medicare for all where everyone's on a federally subsidized plan and you can't have your employer insurance, you can't have private insurance. Um, This would be Javier Becerra, the the Health and Human Services Secretary, a major uh, proponent of Medicare for all. This would be a dream come true for him. Okay, just to summarize, this expands abortion funding by circumventing the Hyde restrictions that would prevent taxpayer funding of abortion, would not apply to this as it creates these new plans, but it does more than creating new plans. It locks into place some expansions that were done during the coronavirus in the um, the funding that was done, the emergency funding to expand healthcare access. Those are locked into permanent place and there's no restrictions then on the Hyde, uh, you know, Hyde language on those expansions under ACA, is that correct? Yes, and this is something not to overlook. We talk about Medicaid and such, but what you hit on the Obamacare piece is that currently our tax dollars are already subsidizing abortions through Obamacare plans, health plans that cover abortion paid for with our tax subsidies. What they did in that COVID package was uh, create better eligibility, more eligibility for people, and instead of having some out-of-pocket costs, they decided we, the federal government, are going to pay for all the out-of-pocket costs uh, for these health care plans that cover abortion. This bill seeks to lock those in place permanently. Um, and let me just stop you right there for just a second, Connor, because this is extremely important because this is how government works. This was done on an emergency basis because of the coronavirus you know, people were losing their jobs, the economy was falling apart, and, and all of the stuff was happening. And so they passed these huge bills to be stopgap, to make sure that no one lost their health care, everyone was taken care of during this pandemic. All right, we're on the other side of that, for the most part. We know what we're dealing with, at least. And so now they're going to take what was expanded on an emergency basis, and they're, they want to make that 
permanent. Is that correct? That's correct, Tony. This is this is how government expands. They create a program supposed to be temporary, but now they're seeking to make it permanent strictly along a partisan vote in the United States Congress. Yeah, and Tony, that's why we emphasized our legislative team here in D.C. Uh, really got into the weeds even when the Trump administration was working on COVID packages because even Republican pro-life well-meaning senators and members of Congress don't realize that unless you explicitly exclude abortion coverage in these temporary uh, expansions, uh, our tax dollars will in fact fund abortions. So that's why we ensured to to keep this out of the first several COVID packages. But again, once the Biden administration came in this year, earlier uh, February and March, they passed these temporary expansions. They're now looking to lock those in permanently. And, uh, uh, well, a couple more questions. We're almost out of time. But uh, how does Planned Parenthood factor into all of this? They are leading the way. They are licking their chops at the amount of money they could be handed if this package goes through Congress. They explicitly spell out that anyone receiving these Medicaid-like funds or Obamacare funds can go to their provider of choice. And what is many people's abortion provider of choice? Planned Parenthood. They seek to make costs millions, millions of dollars more, not in those expansion states, but even further than that through Obamacare subsidies. So uh, this has Planned Parenthood all over it. Very quickly, almost out of time, but if Senator Joe Manchin is successful in saying that the Hyde language has to be applied to the reconciliation bill, what will that do? What that would do is at minimum keep the status quo of not uh, allowing the Medicaid or Medicaid-like funds to cover abortion. But what really needs to be made clear to Senator Manchin and other pro-life senators is that these pro-life protections also need to apply to the Obamacare and other tax subsidies so that not a single dime of our taxpayer dollars will be funding abortions. For instance, those plans that were expanded uh, temporarily during the coronavirus, those do not have the Hyde restrictions on them. That needs to be brought in to this language of uh, restriction for abortion funding as well. Connor, uh, thanks so much for joining us tomorrow. We'll take a look at the education and child care issues that are to be found in those 2,500 pages. Thanks so much for joining us. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Join us again tomorrow. We're going to take another look at this uh, reconciliation bill. See what's tucked away in those 2,500 pages. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 